before we get to the New Testament passage, I I want you to open up your Bibles to Amos chapter 5, the passage we just read. Um, And just as a reminder, um, I love, for those of you with kids, don't ever worry if they're fussing. We love having kids in service, and if you can't hear, sit closer. Um, In Amos chapter 5, I was sitting there hearing that passage and sort of wondering, how, how did it get so bad? How did it get so bad in Israel that they were trampling on the poor and they were taking advantage of these people? You know, the passage we read talks about woe to those who look forward to the day of the Lord because God is telling the people, hey, when I reconcile these things, it's not going to be good. And if you continue reading in verse 20 or 21, he says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Verse 23 says, Away with the noise of your songs. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is how it got so bad. In Israel, and and, and when Jesus came and began to call his disciples, the reason he went about things the way he did. Uh, And so tonight we're going to start Um, A new sort of summer series. Um, It's not a series that's going to go through one book of the Bible or multiple uh, things in order because we're all traveling and things are happening. So we're just going to spend the summer going through the teachings and parables of Jesus, hopping all over the place in the Gospels. And then in the fall, we'll probably start, uh, once everyone comes back from holiday at the end of August or beginning of September, we'll start a series on a character in the Bible or a book of the Bible. And we're actually, for the first time, um, we're going to have a book that sort of pairs with the teaching that we're going to be having on Sundays so that you can be reading during the week and doing your own Bible study as well that'll pair with the things we're going through in here. So, uh, but that'll be later. For this summer, we're going to be going through the Gospels. And we're going to start tonight in Mark chapter 1. So please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark is obviously one of the four Gospels uh, about Jesus. And Mark I like for a lot of reasons. And one of them is Mark is the most succinct of the Gospel writers. He writes things very quickly, very abruptly. If you look at the end of Mark, um, he sort of just just ends it. And and, and it's only 16 chapters and he is very, very... He puts things in for a very specific reason and in a very specific order. And so tonight we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 28. So please follow along with me, either in your Bibles or on the screen. Uh, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And while he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. 
The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Jesus has started to call his disciples. And if you read the little bit beforehand, what's happened is John the Baptist has been put in prison. And Jesus has taken this as an indicator, among other things, to begin his ministry. And he starts by calling these boys to be fishermen. If you've ever done a study on this, you know they were probably teenagers. Um, The disciples probably varied in age ranges. But when a rabbi calls, it would have been a huge honor. It would have been a huge honor that a rabbi would come and call them by name and say, hey, come and be my disciple. And so they do. I mean, maybe they were sick of the manual labor. Maybe they were sick of fishing all night. Maybe they were sick of the smell of fish. I mean, we really don't know. But we do know that one of the things the disciples did by leaving their families and by leaving their family trade was they completely went against the cultural norms of the time. In ancient Near East culture, children were to stay home and work at the family trade. If the men were married, they would go off, but at this time they were supposed to stay there and care for their parents and work with their father so that when people got old, there was no, you know, altar time. There was no old folks' homes back then. Family took care of one another. And for them to leave their nets and take off after this rabbi would have been a big deal. Jesus will challenge later in his ministry the synagogue system and the, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he also challenges the very structures that we think are most important. We see this in his teaching about family later on. Some of you might be aware of the Matthew 12 teaching when his, his, his brother and his mother come and he says, they say, Jesus, you know, your family's outside. And Jesus says, who's my family? It's those of us here worshiping together. Jesus is constantly looking at these systems we have set up and said, is this really the best way? Is this really most important? You know, and following Jesus, if you haven't figured it out yet, is not normal. It will go up against your cultural identity. It will go up against the cultural norms. Wherever you come from, following Jesus will sooner or later run headfirst into what you think is the way to do it. And he will say, like we talked about last week, let me show you a better way. And we see the same thing with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. You know, last week I joked with Jenna um, about baby names, you know. I suggested Shamgar. We read Judges, and I said, Shamgar would be a good name. Now I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I think Zebedee would be a good name. Um, But think about these boys. You know, think about these, these future disciples. Here they are working, and Jesus comes along and says, hey, I got a plan. Would you do it? I mean, I'm obviously not asking you to leave your job, but but if Jesus calls you to a new career, would you be willing to trust him? You know, for me, it's sort of an unfair question to ask, right? It's not really something that applies to me in the same way, but but I've known even known pastors who felt that Jesus was calling them to something different. You know, there's an author, he used to be a pastor of a big church, his name's Francis Chan. He was pastor of this big church in California and this great ministry, and, and he felt that God was calling him to work in the inner city of San Francisco and, and planting home churches. 
And his contemporaries and his friends said, why in the world would you work so hard to build this church? Why in the world would you do this? And Francis Chan said, I'm not positive, but I'm about 75% sure this is what Jesus wants me to do. And they said, why would you give it up? And he said, because I feel like this is what God wants from me. I'm pretty sure these disciples, these young men, were not 100% sure. You know, I'm pretty sure these disciples were not 100% sure to say, I know this is going to work out great. Here's a rabbi I don't know. I mean, sure, it's an honor to be called by a rabbi, but what if this doesn't work out? You know, is dad still going to be here to help? What would you do if you felt like Jesus was calling you to something totally different? Well, as the story goes on, we see that Jesus had a reason and that it would be a different thing following him, that he was worthy of following because what happens in his first teaching time, something like out of a movie, something very dramatic happens. He goes in and what happens is a man with an evil spirit stands up and he says, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? And then he says, you are the Holy One of God. Man, what a wild day at the synagogue, huh? Like, like, could you imagine being there just a normal Saturday? You're sitting there, you're going to worship, you're following your duty, and there's this new, tra- there's new rabbis in town teaching, and, and maybe you've heard about him, maybe you haven't. And you're sort of skeptical. Here's this young man. He stands up, and he's teaching, and he's teaching with authority. And you're sort of getting into it. You think, yeah, this is really, really good. And not only is there this new teacher in town, but then this guy stands up who's possessed by some sort of unclean or impure spirit and says, what do you want with us, Jesus, you holy one of God? Um, For the record, I would hope that no one would stand up and yell that um, or yell anything when I'm teaching. (laughs) But I think about this and I think about Jesus and I... He's so amazing in what he does. He says, hey, be quiet. Come out of him. And we don't know exactly what was happening with this man, whether it was sin, whether it was demonic, whether it was whatever happened, but Jesus controls this situation. And he tells him to be quiet and controls this evil, impure spirit. And immediately he shows not only was his teaching from God, but that he has the power of the Spirit to control the evil forces of this world. You know, we've talked about this before in here. Why in the world did Jesus not just let him say, yeah, I am the Holy One of God. Yeah, I am the Son of God. You should probably listen to me. You know, if you read on in verse 34 in this same passage, the very next paragraph, it says that Jesus healed many who had various diseases and drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Same passage is also in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus, when he began his ministry, would not let these evil spirits speak and say who he was. And I always, and I, I, I always wonder, why? You know? Why not just let people say who he was? Why not let these things speak up for him? Maybe he could have avoided some of the turmoil and the hardship. Maybe he would have had more followers. It would have been clearer. But people were so attracted to Jesus and his miracles and his healings that they were not able to even see the reason behind it. You know, we do the same thing today. We get so drawn in by presentation and we get so drawn in by by something that attracts us to it that sometimes we don't see the reason behind it. Think of the, the passage with Amos. 
How did they get to the point where there was so much injustice and that their worship became so empty? They were just going through this worship. They were going through these sacrifices. And somewhere along the way, they forgot why they were doing it. And Christ came that we would know God who sent him and know his heart and understand how God loved us, not just that he was the Holy One of God. And to have the word spreading too quickly, too soon, that he was Christ or the King of the Jews would have compromised his effectiveness early on in his ministry. And as he says at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, it's not yet my time. Though the time will come, as we know, when Jesus would proclaim exactly who he was and what he came to do. But either way, because of this, after calling the disciples and then casting out teaching with authority and then casting out demons, it says that word spread fast. And no kidding, word spread fast. News about him in verse 28 spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You know, one of the details Mark tells us that he's very, very clear about is that Jesus taught with authority. That Jesus commanded authority in some way, shape, or form. And that when he offered, whether it be the disciples to become fishers of men or fishers of people, however the scriptures write it, it's no surprise that they followed. And I want to just mention two things here that I think are really important when we think about this idea of authority and what it means to teach with authority. The, the one is that Jesus, when he taught, was not trying to appease everyone. You know, when we look at the idea of authority in this life, we cannot be people who are trying to please others. There must be a driving force. And the second thing is that that teaching or where we get our authority must be from the truth of Scripture and not with this wishy-washy theology we see today. Because if something is true, it is always true, and it can't be untrue in a certain situation. And this is the burden we sort of have, right? This is the burden as Christians. We want to represent Christ to the world, but how do we do that? Because many have tried and failed. You know, there was this whole movement in the 90s and 2000s, the what would Jesus do thing, right? You get these bracelets and everything. Like, how do we know what Jesus would do? How can we understand this? Because many have tried and many have failed. <laughs> well, first, let me remind you all that the word authority has been absolutely ruined for us. The word authority has been absolutely ruined for us. Every single one of us in this room can think of a person who we saw in his authority in our life who let us down. I can think of one, two, three. I got four right there in about six seconds. People have wrongly defined authority for all of us. And it's happened for all of human history. It seems like it's only getting worse. I mean, really, think about how it seems like things are getting horrible. You know, one of the things I see and think about all the times is all the things we read and stories we see about the police problems in the United States. How there are people who abuse authority and take advantage of others. More globally, think about the civil rights injustices happening around the world. People who claim to have authority abusing their own people, taking advantage of their own people. Or in in conflict where two sides are fighting and they both claim to have authority. And each side has decided that they're more authoritative or they're more authoritative. And so instead what they decide to do is resort to violence to find out who actually has authority. Authority has been claimed over the one who actually deserves it. Because if you'll remember, at the end of the book of Matthew, actually, conveniently, see, it's right on the next page over from the Mark reading. 
the very end, Jesus said in Matthew 28, not to give away the end of the story, but Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How do we have authority? How do we be a fisher of people? How do we be one who makes disciples and calls people and has people drawn to us? I'm pretty convinced that the way to have authority in this world is to give it away. I'm pretty convinced that the way for us to have authority and success is to give authority to Christ in all we do. This is the reason we study Christ, we listen to his teachings. This is the reason that we have people come to us. I mean, think about it. Today, we just met with some students about a summer missions trip we're doing, and, and someone asked me, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? What's the difference between preaching and having a conversation with someone? And he's showing her, we're talking about how to share our faith. And, and I'm thinking about this. And I said, Consider if someone came to you who's not a church-going person, who's living in sin, who, who's doing something we know is wrong. How do you respond? Do you respond authoritatively? Do you you respond with just a simple black and white, right and wrong, and go and change your life? Or do we follow the model of Christ, give authority to him, and when one person is trapped in sin or needs help or something is wrong, we walk them instead to Jesus and allow them to meet Jesus to see his authority and how Christ would deal with that situation. When people need help, we give them in prayer to Jesus and come alongside them. When we have trouble at work, when we have trouble in school with relationships, we give those things to the authority of Christ and do not try to control them ourselves. That's the same way the people of Israel got to that situation in Amos. They clung so tightly to control and to power and to ruling the people that that eventually their their worship just became empty. They became proud and arrogant. They were so assured of their own success. They cling to authority that God said, you don't get it. I hate your worship. It doesn't do anything. Jesus did not make people come to him. He did not draw a line in the sand and say, you have to be this good, this pretty, this smart, this put together. He simply went out into the world and shared the love God had for people. And that's what he's calling us to do, is to give the authority given to us by the world to Christ, that he would use us to love this world. And then you will have authority. You want to have authority in your home? Give the authority to Christ. Husband and wife, be mutually submission, submissive under Christ. You want to have authority at work or school or in relationships? Give those things to God daily in prayer. When a situation comes up, you don't know what to do. Spend time in scriptures. Ask an older brother or sister or a friend in Christ what to do and take control away and pressure away from you. Some people are going to think you're absolutely crazy. Some people are going to think, why in the world would you not want to get more power and more control when you can? But remember, people also thought Christ was crazy. And us being Christ's disciple is submitting to him and saying, I don't know where this is going to go if I drop my net. (laughs) 
I don't know where this is going to end up, and I'm not 100% sure I'm ready for this, but I trust you. I'm not sure if this is going to work out exactly how I want God, but I'll go. Even if we are under the authority of people in this world who do not honor God, that is their issue, not yours. Your issue is what you do. You are responsible for your actions. And if you want to be a fisher of men, if you want to be a fisher of women, if you want to be someone like Christ who draws people to yourself, that Christ would know who sent them, or that they would know Christ, and that they would know who sent them, submit to Christ in all things. Because following any one person will never work out well. You know, some of you know me well enough to know that I absolutely love John Calvin and I absolutely love his works and his writing and some of the stuff that came out of the Reformation, but even he probably messed up on some stuff. No matter what worldly authority could be the most right and the most perfect, it is not Christ. And it will lead you to a place away from Christ if you follow man or you follow woman all the way down the road. Trust the authority of Christ with your very life. And hold on and give, or sorry, hold the authority of the world loosely and trust the authority of Christ. You know, some people, when they say this whole Jesus thing or church thing is weird, they might say that I don't understand why Jesus needs everything. (laughs) Like, why, why can't I just like put my foot in the pool and test it out for a while? I had a friend like that, and he, he always sort of was one foot in, one foot out, and he, he never really committed his life. And he said, it's just too much. I just want to test out one area of my life. I just want to test out one thing with Jesus first. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. In Luke chapter 9, he said, you have to drop everything and follow me. And we say, well, that, some people say that's too much. No deal. But remember that Jesus would not ask anything of us that he did not already give himself. That Christ gave all for you. That Christ gave every single thing he had for you. He poured himself out as a drink offering for you. And because he conquered death and because he did that, he is worthy of all authority in heaven on earth. And so whatever it is, Do not cling to the power and control of this world. Do not cling to the things that don't matter. Just think of yourself as like a relay person. You know, when things come to you, just give it to God. When stresses come to you, pray. When when, when you don't know what to do, sit down with a brother or sister in Christ and just talk about it. Authority is not having all the answers and ruling with power. Authority is giving back to Christ what he has earned. And so tonight, that leads us to the table. It leads us to communion, where we remember exactly the sacrifice Christ made. And Christ he didn't leave us a lot of mandates. He said there's two things you should do as Christians. If you're a believer, you should be baptized. It's a good thing. If you haven't been baptized, by the way, we can talk about that. Baptisms are fun. It's a lot warmer now in the lake. But the other thing he said to do is when you gather to take communion and remember my sacrifice. He said, come together and remember this thing that I have done. That when we talk about Christ having all authority, we are reminded of why. Because on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it apart. 
And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it out and said, this is my blood poured out for you. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we remember Christ's sacrifice and we unify with him as his daughters and sons, giving him all authority. And so tonight, as we come to the table together, let me remind you, please come down this aisle and head this way. I'll be here with the bread and and then we'll have the the juice over there. We also have gluten-free if you need it. Um, and, and all are welcome here. All are welcome to come forward. And for whatever reason you feel like you're not ready, you're not in a place to, please, I'd invite you still come forward like this so that I might pray a blessing over you. I'd love to do that. Um, and so at this time, I'd like to invite our elders to come forward.